Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer, this recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is Jacqueline here and yeah, it's a a Wednesday when I'm recording this. It's raining outside. Uh, I just had some cinnamon toast crunch. It's a good, it's a good Wednesday. <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling a little bit feisty this week today. Um, I've been giving more people tough love. It's been an interesting week. I'm doing a lot of exciting things, but I'm glad you guys are here with me. And I'm going to be t- taking you guys through something really straightforward and simple on how to deal with urges because a lot of times what I see is people struggle with confusion around what to do when they get an urge. People come to me all the time um, during consults, clients, all that sort of things. And they're like, I just did this. I don't know why I binged. All this happened. It just happened so fast. And confusion seems to be the death of all good decisions. And so I've been really trying to streamline my process for helping people deal with urges and helping people make quick decisions in the moment to not binge because that's what seems to be most effective instead of dwelling over it, negotiating with yourself, all that sort of stuff. And I've talked about some of these subjects before, but today I'm going to be talking about a simple equation you can use that is a strategy to get through urges. And yeah, I think it'll be helpful for all of you. But first I wanted to acknowledge two things. If you want to skip ahead, uh, I will be talking about a group coaching program and I'll also be uh, listing off some facts about the LGBTQ plus community. So roll ahead, maybe five minutes into the episode. If you just want to hear me talk about um, simple urge management tactics. Uh, If you're following me on Instagram, you already know, but first I am offering a group coaching program starting on July 1st. It's very soon. The deadline to sign up is June 28th. And this will be a intensive three-month program where we're all going to meet twice a week for 12 weeks. And it's only a group of five people, very small. I did that intentionally because I wanted those people to have as much attention for me as possible. And it's going to be really fun. It's really exciting and includes my course. And I'm so excited to bring group coaching, a program like this to bulimia recovery online because you just don't see it very often. I know that that's huge in treatments where people will go and they'll get to converse and socialize with others struggling with the same thing, but I don't see it as much online. And this will be kind of nice. I was talking to someone who just joined the program and she was saying, I like that. It's not every single day. It's going to be twice a week. That seems more manageable and gives you time to try out things instead of just exclusively being in the program. So if you want to sign up for that, The link to it is going to be in the podcast below. Uh, You can't just join. You have to talk to me first because we need to make sure the program is appropriate for you. What I mean by that is sometimes people come to me and they actually need more advanced medical treatment that, you know, obviously I'm not a doctor, so I cannot offer that. They need something that is beyond coaching. So we'll talk, see if it's actually appropriate for you, and then we'll secure your spot. So if you want to sign up for that, um, go ahead. And I did this because I'm obviously fully booked for coaching right now. And I still want to be able to offer help to more people. Ultimately, I think in the future, I'll be more 
I will be doing group coaching because that is the way I can help the most people long-term. So if you want to hop in on my first ever group coaching program that is exclusive, then I will talk to you soon. But that being said, before we start this episode, the last thing I wanted to acknowledge is that it's Pride Month. And so I was contacted a few weeks ago by a lovely person who is part of the LGBTQ plus community. And they said, you know, I love your podcast. I tune in from Australia all the time, but, uh, is you have any good resources or tips for transgender, um, people, uh, any advice there, anything, you know, and I told, I, I saw this message and I was like, I don't know exactly what to say to this person because I don't, I'm, I'm not from that community, right? I don't, I haven't lived it. I don't know what it's like to be um, different than heterosexual because that's what I am. And so I haven't spoken on it because I don't know what the particular protocol for that is. And I told this person, like, I am definitely looking for representation on this podcast, um, regardless of whether it's Pride Month or not. And uh, that I think it's important. And I would love for it to have someone from that community, multiple people, obviously, from that community on so they can speak from their own personal experience, because I feel like I would not be able to do it justice because I have not been in their shoes. I don't I don't want to um, paint a simple picture when it's probably far from the truth for simple. Nonetheless, though, even if I can't speak from experience and I can't speak advice, I would like to first acknowledge some facts about the LGBTQ plus community in eating disorders, because actually they're more, um, they're more dramatically affected than you would think. So I just wanted to read off some stats. These stats are from Nita and I thought it'd be appropriate given the time and just the fact that it's important for all of us to be aware. Uh, people in the LGBTQ plus community are predominantly more affected by eating disorders. So let's look at some of the facts real quick. And again, these facts are from nationaleatingdisorders.org or Anita for short. And I just wanted to read off some kind of shocking facts that uh, I, it makes sense to me now when I read that, but I wasn't completely aware of. And I thought it'd be good to acknowledge these things because um, oftentimes in media, when you see eating disorder stories, they're rare and far and few between because for some reason it's such a taboo topic and I don't know why, but people don't want to touch it. And when they do, it's usually portrayed by, you know, a straight white girl in her teens. Like that's a stereotype. And you know, when I talk with my clients, a lot of them are, none of them, you know, are under 18 and a lot of them are in their thirties and forties. Um, I've only worked with women so far. Well, that's not true. Actually, I have worked with men as well, but, uh, they're not all just the stereotype that you see. So it's kind of annoying to see that all the time. Two of the books that I have read that are, are kind of memoirs and advice on eating disorders, though, I'd be careful with these books because, it wasn't their intention, but it can romanticize eating disorders. And if you feel like you're not in a place to read that sort of stuff, reading about those behaviors could trigger you to want to go back to it. And in fact, when I was rereading Brain Over Binge, I also went back to those other books, listened to all of those. And I did feel myself kind of being like, oh, it could be nice to do a little of those things. Right. And I was like, wait, no, we're not going to do that. So be careful when I recommend these books. One of them was Unbearable Lightness by Portia de Rossi. And as you know, Portia de Rossi, if you guys don't know, is married to Ellen DeGeneres. Um, I think she touches on a lot of uh, issues that people go through when they're in the closet. So that could be a good resource for you guys to read if you haven't already, just to get at least feel like you're not the only one. And then also another one that was by, it's called, another book was called that I read, 
Something Spectacular by Greta Gleisner. And this one I thought was pr uh, probably more helpful than Unbearable Lightness. Unbearable Lightness was a little bit more of a memoir. Um, Something Spectacular was also very much a memoir, but she does touch on uh, treatment that she received and how it helped. But she talks a lot about the difficulty she struggled with, with her parents accepting her, um, her, her accepting her own um, sexual orientation, right? And all of the drama of kind of hiding in the shadows with that. And also she was a professional dancer, a rockette. So that's really interesting. And I believe that she now works to help people recover from eating disorders now too. So if you were looking for books that speak to those things, I know that's again, still very limited, but those two I have actually read. And I thought they were both pretty good. Just be wary that they do romanticize eating disorders a little bit. And I don't want you guys to go into that without being prepared for it. So keep a tough, tough mind, keep it on lockdown. But here are some of the facts um, from Nita. And they said that uh, gay males were seven more, seven times more likely to report binging and 12 times more likely to report purging than heterosexual males. Compared with heterosexual men, gay and bisexual men had a significantly higher prevalence of lifetime full syndrome, bulimia, subclinical bulimia, and any subclinical eating disorder. Females identified as lesbian, bisexual, and mostly heterosexual were about twice as likely to report binge eating at least once per month in the last year. Elevated rates of binge eating and purging by vomiting or laxative abuse was found for people who identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or mostly heterosexual in quotation marks in comparison to their heterosexual peers. Black and Latin ex-LGBs have at least as high of prevalence of eating disorders as white LGBs. And then they also said a fact interesting here at the bottom, which I found to be helpful. And that would be some of the advice I'd give to you guys. They said a sense of connectedness to the gay community was related to fewer current, fewer current eating disorders, which suggests that feeling connected to the gay community may have a protective effect against eating disorders. So um, yeah, I would imagine if you're going through this, it would be important to find some sort of connection and people that can completely relate to what your story is and what you're going through. I know that resources are limited, but I would highly encourage you guys to keep on searching for, for people that actually have been through your shoes. They are out there. Um, you aren't the only ones that uh, is in the LGBTQ plus community and struggling with an eating disorder. I would type on Google. I would look on YouTube. I would look through Facebook groups and you could maybe even be the brave one and ask people on Facebook groups if they have any resources, people you know, searching far and wide, but having that connectedness would be important. But those facts are really interesting that they affect a lot more, a lot more people, part of the community than you would assume. And a part of this, they said was, and this makes obvious sense, right? But it's just important to point out um, potential factors that may play a role in the development of eating disorders may include fear of rejection or experience of rejection by friends, families, and coworkers, internal, internalized negative messages, beliefs about oneself due to the sexual orientation, non-normative gender expressions, or transgender identity. Um, experience of violence or post-traumatic stress disorder. And obviously we know trauma can play a big role in eating disorders, um, which research shows sharply increases vulnerability of eating disorders. See, there you go, they're saying it. And then discrimination due to one's sexual orientation and gender identity. And so, yeah, the list goes on, but it makes obvious sense, very, um, very plain as day sense that people in the LGBTQ plus community 
also would experience heightened prevalency of eating disorders because it is can be oftentimes a coping mechanism. It can be, there's a lot of factors that play into it, but yeah, but I just wanted to recognize that community. I know you guys are out there listening and you have not been forgotten by me and anyone that, you know, I really welcome all people here. And that's something that's so interesting about eating disorders that kind of connects us in a way is that it really is not, um, it doesn't care about your gender or your age or your sexual orientation or anything. It can affect you no matter who you are. (laughs) What a beautiful thing. But I just want to know that I know you're out there and um, all my love and heart and support goes to you. Now let's get on to the episode. I've rambled quite a bit as I always do. Okay. So like I was saying before, a lot of people come to me confused. People make a bulimia very confusing process. And for those of you there out listening, I understand bulimia is not just a simple, um, only it is a habit in a lot of ways, but I understand there are other things going on. I understand nutrition plays a role role in it. Restriction plays a role in bulimia. Um, so many different factors playing a role in bulimia, but when we're just talking about urges, um, a lot of people get very confused and, um, they fumble, they overthink things and they end up negotiating with themselves to binge, or they end up kind of not realizing what they need to do. And one of my most, my newest clients, she is working alongside a nutritionist and with me, and she has feel like following a meal plan right now with her nutritionist to try to get her back to baseline and make sure that she's getting all the things she needs. It's a minimum meal plan, but this client, she's a sweetheart and lover to death, but she overthinks things to the max. And she went, when we first started working together, she went a week without binging or purging, right? No episodes doing really good, clear cut. She would, she would ask herself whenever she wanted to binge, whenever she had an urge, she'd be like, do you really want to do that? Um, and the answer would be no. She was writing motivation and she'd move on. She'd feel the feelings. It was fine. But then two nights in a row after that, she had a binge and purge episode, binge and purge episode. And she's like, I feel like the old tactics aren't working. I asked myself, I really want to binge. And the answer is yes. And a lot of times when we broke down those binge and purge episodes, it was because something happened where she was unsure about food. First of all, someone maybe offered her food and it was on her, on her meal plan. So she was just kind of confused already. And then she was thinking, well, I think I want food. Mm, Should I do this? And all of a sudden she's had four plates, plates of food. So instead of having this convoluted process for handling urges, which is kind of what she was doing before, that's what a lot of people do too. They think to have, they think to have an urge protocol or to have something to do with urges, it has to be this long drawn out thing. And that's why the pause method I offer is so simple because it's like two minutes, take a step back and move on. But I want to break that down a little bit further because people still get it wrong. Um, they mess it up and they make it overcomplicated. So I wanted to offer you guys, this is what we came up in, with in the call with her, my client that's really working for her right now. And I want to offer it to you, the bulimia recovery equation or um, the bulimia, the binge urge equation. I don't know what the term would be yet. It's an equation, a simple equation for you to follow that equals no, no binging and purging, right? If you do this simple process, um, it's pretty likely that if you actually, actually follow through with it, you will not binge. So I'm going to take you through it. It's first recognize plus pause plus decide plus do something else, right? Another client that I had been working with for a while, uh, she said a huge thing for her was just redirecting her brain to doing anything else. 
didn't mean she had to get rid of the urge, anything like that. Just do something else. And that helped her. But I'm going to break down what this equation um, requires. And like I said before, a lot of people are like, I have to meditate for uh, 20 minutes. Then I have to light a candle and then I have to smell the candle. And then I have to um, let all my emotions release from my body. And then I have to take a bath and then the urge will be gone for 10 minutes before I come back. And then I have to repeat the whole process over again. That is exhausting, right? That's not very functional for life either. If you have to do that every time you feel an urge, you're not going to be getting anything done and you can't go to work. It's just not going to, not going to be helpful. But what you could do, what the key component seems for me to getting through urges and what I see in my clients is they first have to recognize that they're having an urge, which a lot of people don't really realize till it's too late. How do you start to recognize it? Well, you first backtrack to the last time you binged and try to pick up, oh, how did that actually happen? So that then you can call it out in the future. When I broke down these binge and purge urges with my last client, oftentimes they started from her overthinking, second guessing herself, having an extra helping, going off plan a little bit, um, and then deciding to have another bowl and then saying, fuck it. That's how it happened for her. So if you can think back into the future for your own things and be like, oh, when I start to feel anxious, this happens. A lot of times when my, my client will go, One of my clients will go a week without binging and purging, and then she has a bad day at work. And at night, she just wants to say fuck it to everything, right? And say she'll literally say to herself, I don't care about recovery anymore. I just want food, right? She has to be aware and recognize that that is the binge voice talking. That is the urge talking. She actually always regrets it every time. So she shouldn't buy into that logic now. So the first thing you need to do is just recognize. That can take two seconds once you actually get good at recognizing it being like, oh, we're on our way to binge. When I was coming home from work, I knew that the thoughts in my head were like, we could go to the grocery store. We could go get, like, just check on pie. We're really stressed. It could just be one more time. We get it if we kind of deserve it. We're never going to be able to stop anyway. I would say that sort of language to myself, right? That was my trigger. That was my knowing. Even just getting the car, I knew what I was going to come up with, right? When it, What it took for me was recognizing I was on the path towards a binge, And then the second thing is just pausing. And I referred to this with her as stop, drop, and roll. And I say, I've said this before, but I think it's a funny analogy because if you notice that something's wrong, right? You just need to stop, right? Just stop at what you're doing, halt the whole thing, stop it immediately and pause to take a moment and stop the momentum, halt the train because you don't want it to go any further. It's going to get harder and harder to stop. So stop, put on the brakes as soon as possibly you can think it like if a little kid ran in front of your car or a cute little rabbit ran in front of your car, you're going to slam on those brakes. That's what you need to do at the moment. You recognize that you then have a chain reaction of stopping. Right. And then I don't want you to do anything else. I don't want you to distract yourself, whatever. I want you to decide, do you want to binge? And I'm going to give you a little cheat here. The answer is always no. You just have to decide. That's the hardest part of this whole equation that people don't want to do. They want to avoid. They want to ask me, how do you decide to do something, right? How do you decide not to binge when you really want to binge? And I always ask people, how do you decide to pay your taxes? Do you just decide not to sometimes? Like, how do you decide that, right? And again, I'm feeling sassier today, so I'm sorry, but I think the tough love is necessary. Um, 
you could do that. And you could think about it. I was talking to this one client and she's a working professional. She has a high profile job and she helps people in their health. Right. And I said, um, she's taking on a new job in a different, different environment. And so we were talking about job interviews and she was asking, you know, like, I don't know how to decide. Right. And I said, if someone asks you, are you going to be able to perform the job that we're looking to hire you for correctly? And you said, maybe, do you think they would hire you? And would you actually say that? And she laughed and she's like, no, of course not. And I was like, yeah, of course you would just say, yeah, I'm going to do it. How do you decide that you're going to do it? How do you decide you're going to be able to perform those functions appropriately? And she's like, I just make it up in my mind. There's no negotiating afterwards. There's no back and forth. You just decide and you commit to it. And people don't want to rip off that band-aid for so many reasons. Part of it is they think I'll never, you know, I'll never be able to have the good food I want. Binging is actually worth it. Just this one more time. They believe the lies that the urges tell them, but I'm telling you food is not, it's, it's good, but it's not that good. It's not worth your sanity. It's not worth your mental health. It's not worth um, your life passing you by. Binging is never worth it. There's never a good reason to binge. There's never a good reason to purge unless you've been poisoned. That's the logic I live by. Because as you guys know, I still get urges to purge, like um, usually every month. Uh, They're not that strong, but if they occasionally are strong, especially if I've eaten something that makes me feel ill, then I always go back to my logic that I've built up that no purging always leads to bulimia. We can't do that. We can't ever do that. You know, uh, same with binging. I'm like, binging always leads to more binging. Binging always leads to my life crumbling and falling apart. So that component, we've got the equation so far. We got the recognize pause decide, make a decision and you know how to make a decision. It's just how you pay your taxes. You pay your bills. It's how you decide to get groceries and pay your rent, right? You don't question those things. You don't kind of say, maybe I don't have to do it this month. Do we really have to? You decide to do it because it's important to you. And that's when you have to bring that same logic into deciding to do this thing here. And again, people think that deciding this is the worst part, but once you actually decide, it's not that bad. The negotiation is the worst part about it. The back and forth, the, are we going to do it? Are we not going to do it? The anticipation slash disappointment that could or could not happen when things are in limbo, when things are up in the air, it's the worst part about anything, right? It's like, it's like you're in a horror movie. The worst part about horror movies to me is waiting for a jump scare. I always jump even when I know a jump scare is going to happen. I, and I, I always tense up. Sometimes I like will put my hands like slightly over my eyes to stop it. And I'll maybe plug my ears. So the noise isn't scary as much, but I know someone's going to jump up and I hate the anticipation of waiting for it. I just want it to happen afterwards. It's not that bad, but I hate the initial jump of it. The worst part about it is waiting the tension that builds. And if you don't decide, that's what makes urges last so damn long. Once you decide you decide to stop thinking about it and you decide we're not going to do this. That's when the urge can release. You might still feel bad. You might still think binging would be fun, but you can decide not to do it and still want to binge. That's something people, I don't think they understand, right? Is that you can want something to decide not to do it. It would be nice to have my own private jet to fly wherever I want to. I want to do that, but I can't financially pull that off. So I'm not going to do it. Right. And I can want that and not do it at the same time. 
that's how you handle binging. You say, I could want it, but I'm going to decide not to do it. And then you're met with just the frustration of not being able to do it. And then you move on. And the final part of the equation is do something else. And one of my clients, she said it was really helpful for her to decide immediately and do something else. She actually described it differently. She would describe this decide component that I'm referring to you guys here as um, ignoring, right? Not engaging. She said it was really helpful for me. I sent out an email with her quote in it earlier this week where it was really helpful for me to just have urges in my brain and not even acknowledge their existence and keep on redirecting my brain to the thing at, at hand, to just concentrating on something else to anything else. And she also pointed out something clearly, which is what I just said, that I don't have to make the urge go away. I don't have to do anything with it. I don't have to even concentrate on it for one second. All I have to do is something else, anything else, anything else I actually enjoy. She also said to me, I know I'm oversimplifying this, but I want to give you this story as a little bit of hope. She's been working with me for two months. She has been fighting with urges the whole time and binging and purging you know, almost daily the whole time. And then she suddenly made a huge turnaround when she realized that I don't actually have to put a whole lot of effort into this. It can just be simple, easy, recognize, pause, decide, do something else. And she was making it difficult, right? Fighting with the urges. Whenever she would fight with them, try to resist them, try to make any sort of protocol with it. That's when they would, she would give it power. It starts to build up in her head. She would get anxiety. She would get angry about it. She would have emotional outbursts about it. It was awful. And it was exhausting her. And I see a lot of people do this. They're like, I'm managing urges all the time, but it's not sustainable. It's exhausting. It's awful. And it's like, yeah. That makes sense because you're putting so much more mental energy into it than it needs to um, deserve if you, or needs to, needs to be given. If you could just recognize, pause, decide, do something else and keep repeating that behavior over and over again, that became, it becomes autonomous to you. And the more and more you can get into the habit of letting the urge go, letting the urge go, let it pass through your mind, let it go through without even acknowledging its existence, just like ignoring someone on the street, right? I know you guys have all done that before, but you can do that with an urge. Obviously don't ignore human beings, but you know what I'm saying? If you can ignore and move past, that might be an easier tactic for you to use than meditating or trying to feel it. I know feeling your emotions is important. I'm all about it. Um, That's another thing people don't want to do is if they don't binge a lot of times it's because they want to numb out a feeling. And so you have to, if you want to do this equation and you want it to work, you have to actually be willing to recognize, pause, decide, and do something else and allow that feeling to be there. Right. So just because you do this process doesn't mean you're going to feel better. You're just going to not binge. And that's another part of it is people don't really realize, wait, I didn't binge. Why don't I feel better? And it's like, that's not, that's not always going to happen. Sometimes it's going to happen. My client seems to be now that she's not binging fine, but sometimes people are like, I didn't binge and I have to deal with a stressful day. Like my client who comes home from work sometimes and is really stressed and feels like she just needs that emotional release. But it's kind of funny. Like we feel bad sometimes, right? Like it's part of human life. Uh, you feel kind of shitty. Sometimes it goes up and down, depends on the time of month, all that sort of stuff. But when someone dies, it's not normal to feel happy all of a sudden, unless that person was torturing you, right? If someone that you care about dies, you don't want to feel happy about it. You want to be sad. You want to cry. You want to mourn. You want to be heartbroken because you miss them because you cared about them because you love them. And it's awful if someone dies, right? 
why is it that we're allowed, we allow ourselves to feel something so painful as mourning one's death, feeling sad and understanding that's a natural process of human emotion, um, of being a human being, but we feel any other emotion in our life and we freak out and we think it shouldn't be happening. We think we shouldn't, we should be entitled not to feel anger, um, get confusion, uh, sadness of any other type of kind, uh, anxiety. And I understand if you're feeling constant anxiety and it's, you're, it's debilitating, like go get help, right? Go see a doctor that needs to be taken care of, of course. But anger, those sort of things, feeling frustrated by the day, you're not helping it by binging and they're actually normal to feel. And it's okay that you feel that, but you trying to put a bandaid over it isn't actually making it go away. You're still there, but it's just the way you're dealing with whatever is making you angry. Maybe it'd be better to deal with the thing that's making you constantly angry, constantly upset and fix it instead of trying to just mask the emotions. So you can keep going back to the same thing that's causing you such distress. It doesn't make any sense. So if you do this equation, don't expect to feel immediately better. Just expect not to binge. But that's a good thing because if you don't feel immediately better, you can deal with the crap going on and figure out what to do next. So I hope that this episode has given you something <laughs> to learn from. Um, yeah, I really, this episode has been a hodgepodge. I've been doing a lot more interviews recently and I still continue. I want this podcast to be full of interviews, but I also want them to be full of um, things that I'm learning from my coaching, things that would be helpful to you. I know I focus so much on mindset, but I will be trying to bring a little bit more nutrition to this podcast as I'm getting certified to be a precision nutrition coach. And I will also be trying to bring some more, um, just science-based episodes as well, because mindset's important, but I think it's important to talk about actions you can do, simple tips, that sort of stuff. So stay tuned for that in the future. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, and I hope that this episode has been helpful. The bulimia recovery, like equation, this equation, I promise you managing urges, you're probably making it too complicated. If you're like, I don't know how to handle it. What if it were easy? What if you could do this? What if it could be simple? How would you approach it? And what if you really just had needed to recognize, pause, decide and do something else? It was really that easy to get through an urge. I think a lot of people are just unwilling to go through that process. But if you're willing to do that, I promise you, you can get through urges over and over and over again until it becomes autonomous. But when you decide you have to be willing to let that urge go in the sense of you have to be willing to let the desire be there and move on to something else anyway. Practice some delayed gratification, right? Practice the art of not having everything always immediately when you need it. Okay, I hope you guys like that tough love. Um, I know it was a little harsher, but I think that it was needed. I will talk to you guys next week. Never give up on yourself, my friends. Bye. Hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out the Binge Breakers Recovery course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com slash recovery dash course.